Welcome back to Mission Daily. This is Chad, CEO of Mission.org. And in today's episode, we sit down with Mathilde Collin, the CEO of Front. If you're not familiar with Front, you probably will be soon. If you'd like to imagine a bright future for email, better correspondence, being more effective, Front is working on it and Mathilde is a fascinating person. Today, we talk about how to become more happy at work. We talk about getting that balance right between your personal identity and your business identity, something I'm still working on. And we talk about some higher level topics, like if email were designed today, what would it be like? And how would we really rebuild email from the ground up, reimagine it, and really turn it into an educational game that people want to play instead of hiding from their inbox? Mathilde grew up in the suburbs of Paris, and we talk about that along with where some of her competitive motivations and sports and things like that, how they all kind of come together into her business motivation. Mathilde is very competitive. She enjoys learning new things. And these are all things that she kind of puts together and channels into her mission at front, as well as her life outside. We talk about her experiences at Y Combinator, working with investors, partnerships, and generally how to build a fun Lego-centric culture. I think you're going to like today's episode. Let's dive into it. Let's take a quick time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. Hey, I know running a business isn't easy. One of the biggest challenges is HR with all its details and regulations. So I chose Trinet. Their experts make everything from payroll to benefits and even compliance really easy. And they offer full service solutions tailored to your industry and your company, whether your team is 10 people or a thousand. For me, that means less worry and more confidence that it's taken care of the right way. You and your employees deserve the same. Check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Matilda, thanks so much for sitting down with us. And it's very exciting to be here. I think Front's doing some very important work. Don't know anyone out there that just says, I love email so much. I can't wait to get in my inbox. However, I think the work you're doing is creating a future where many people might enjoy that type of communication. So I know the company's evolved, but how do you explain Front and what you're up to now? Yeah, well, I think the way I explain it has evolved over time, obviously. But the way I explain it today is, Email is still the tool that most knowledge workers use every day to get work done. And the reality is when it was initially invented, it wasn't made for businesses. And so it doesn't match the way teams work. For example, teams are highly collaborative. You don't work by yourself. But in order to collaborate with email, you need to CCBCC forward reply, which is not effective. Today, you use more and more softwares and they need to communicate with one another so that you don't just keep switching tabs all the time. And yet it's very hard to integrate email with any other tools. So the way we summarize front is if email was designed today and was matching the way teammates and companies work, it would be front. Sure. Now, the thing is, it's a huge prime, it's a huge market. And so we have to start somewhere. And so we are way more deliberate today than we were five years ago about 
which teams and which industries we know have strong product market fit forefront. And so we talk about, for example, brokers and logistics companies and customer success team and account management teams and companies that want to scale high-touch communication with their customers. And these are the teams that we know will have such a strong fit with front and that we will go after first. Sure. And it seems like these are the industries and verticals too, where prior to front, a lot of the knowledge yep. and learning was just being lost, where if yep. you would have an outstanding customer service rep or somebody in the email inbox, it was very hard to translate like exactly. what they were doing to the rest of the team to teach. So do you view front kind of like as an e-learning tool as a, what's it evolving into? Yeah, no, it's interesting because at the end of the day, when you think about the value that companies and teammates and users will get out of it, for sure, the fact that they, it's a tool that has made transparency be very easy. So like you can easily share something with someone, you can easily get the context of, for example, a Salesforce record directly in your inbox. And so people understand why they're working on what they're working on. And so it makes onboarding of new hires way easier because sure. instead of it's your first day at work, you have nothing in your inbox. And so you need to figure everything out and ask everyone like here, you are in this shared inbox where there is so much content from previous communication and from other tools. And in that regard, we think that companies will onboard employees faster and more easily thanks to the common knowledge that is shared. Sure. And starting off with answering the why is very important for motivation and learning right. in general. So that's uh, very exciting. So your journey begins in Paris and you started out there. Curious to know, I'm not going to try French. I have bonjour, <laughs> je m'appelle Chad, E2. That's about, that's about it. Yeah. So I'm curious if you take us back to Paris. What was growing up like there? Yeah. Well, so I grew up in, in France in the suburb of Paris. I think there are a few things that, you know, struck me as a kid or... So the first one is I was pretty amazed by how few people were liking their jobs. I was shocked by the fact that a lot of people were going to work every single day, five days a week and, and not enjoying it. And I was a very happy kid. And I thought, well, you know, I don't want to grow up and not enjoy like what that. I'm doing. Yeah. So that's one part of me growing up. Another part of me growing up is... I'm super competitive, so I do so many sports and games and board games, and I think that, you know, still is a driver of who I am. And then number three is, like, I liked school, and so I enjoyed going to school, and I enjoyed learning new things. And so I just had a, I think a, I was very lucky to have a pretty peaceful childhood, but, like, caring the fact that I had this mission where I wanted more people to be happy to come to work every day, starting with myself. And so... Then, you know, I went to business school because, well, it was a big idea, but I didn't really know what to do with it. So I was like, okay, business school, at least I will learn like so many things that maybe some of them will be the right foundations for what I want to do. Then I focused on entrepreneurship when I was in business school because I thought, well, starting a company is a good way to create a great environment and to work on a product that will, that will impact how other people work. And then I did my first job and it was, you know, contract management software. And that's when I discovered softwares and how great they were because you could, you know, build something in a few months that then would change how people get work done. So I quit my job and I started Front a year after I graduated. Very cool. I was, so I was reading some interviews or listening to them, I guess. 
And when you first came over to the US, I think you stayed in a hacker hostel yes. over here, which is similar to my own experience. When I first moved out here, I stayed in one. There was a Russian mathematician who had really bad PTSD, who would wake up screaming and like, there's all kinds of things going on. It was a very like dynamic environment. And I think yeah. you described it as a place where you got more done in like 10 days than you had in three months in, yes. in France. It, yes. yeah, what was your experience like when you first got over well, so first of all, I mean, I think we had similar experiences. It's funny because it was my first time outside Europe. So sure. my first time in the U.S., but also just traveling. And I remember I was taking calls from my shower because I didn't want to wake <laughs> up people. But it was in France, so it was super early. So I right. had to get So it was quite unique. But my experience was I had been working on front for three months in France prior to me coming here. We just had a landing page of like a prime that we were trying to describe and people could sign up to our beta. And what I saw was a lot of people who asked for getting access were from here. So I decided to fly here and talk to them and just ask, like, what are you interested in to make sure that we were building something people wanted? And I came here, had organized a few meetings with some of these people requesting access. And I think what happened after that was every meeting was leading to more meetings with either new potential users, new partners, investors. And that's when I realized, well, okay, so here, you know, when I ask for a meeting, I can have a meeting just like the day after. And when someone says they're going to make an intro, they do the intro right away. And it just felt to me that everything was going so much faster. And that's, I think, what gave me the feeling that if we moved here, we would go faster in achieving what we wanted to achieve. Sure. And so you moved over here. Did you keep any operations going in Paris or just shift everything to... So we, we moved everyone here. The way it happened and, you know, for everyone that's thinking about moving, it's already a, a huge move. So for us, we decided to apply to Y Combinator. We got accepted. And so we spent three months first. At that time, the company was maybe five people, but then we started hiring more people. So ultimately, I like probably moved like initially a group of 10 people, and then we moved way more French employees. But a lot of companies will you know, think about whether you keep a team in Paris and a team or somewhere in France and a team here. I think for me, the way I thought about it is there are obviously pros and cons of both, but what I wanted to optimize for was I wanted to make sure that the teams were working as well together as they could possibly work well. So I wanted to make sure that sales was chatting with engineering and product to make sure that, you know, product and engineering were working on the right things. And just them listening to sales calls gave them a ton of insight, gave marketing a ton of insight on right. how to talk about front. And I felt like, although it was more risky, more expensive to move everyone here, the ROI was positive because of the pace at which you could learn. Right. And you'd seen the flywheel started to speed yep. up for your own learning. So that was I guess, compounding with the team as well. And I'm curious to know, so your master's degree in entrepreneurship that you got, how would you compare and contrast that with the education that you got from Y Combinator? They're obviously very different programs, but yeah. how did one set you up for the other? Yeah. What was your experience like in YC? Yeah. So, I mean, both experiences were very different and I was honestly happy with both. So the way the entrepreneurship program works is actually very unique. You divide the year in like three different times. The first time you work on starting a new project. And so that's when I started working on this contract management tool. The second time you work with a company that's failing so that you learn what you do in that case. And the last time you learn to work in a fast growing environment. And so you learn three very different parts of a journey. Um, all of them can happen. So I, I like this. Uh, I think the thing I learned is like learning by doing, which is very similar to YC, but 
in YC, you already have a project that you're working on. YC was so interesting because I often tell this story where the first time I joined YC and we're going to this dinner and I think Sam Altman, who was leading the, the program at that time, tells us, well, this is what YC is about. It's like, make something people want. And then here's your t-shirt. It's written like, make something people want. And you're like, did I really have to move? Like, to, like it seems very <laughs> obvious. But at the end of the day, really the only thing you can tell an entrepreneur who is willing to start a company is your focus every single minute of every single day is to make sure that you're building something people want. Right. So in that regard, like learning at OAC was different, but extremely valuable. Yeah. And it seems like as your journey progresses, it seems like the idea and everything is getting distilled down into what became the first product. And so I'm curious, at what point did you have a product and when did you start to get enterprise adoption or signs that you were onto something that could scale to the whole world? Yeah. So initially, what you need to do is before spending months building a product, you need to validate that, you know, it's going to solve a need. So the first few months up front were literally what I described, which is like a landing page where you see a screenshot up front. We explain the prime, people can sign up. And we tell them there is a product, but really there is no product. Like what we want is we want to gather feedback from them on what right. they need. So that's the initial moment. But in the meantime, like you, you make sure that you get to an MVP, minimum viable product, so that you can show something as, as quickly as possible. But you don't optimize for building the best product that then like, you know, people will be blown away by, at least in B2B. And I can only talk about B2B. So instead, like you sell the value prop, you build an MVP and as early as possible, you have these people that, you know, believe in your value prop, use your MVP. What happens if you've done your job well is no one wants to use your product because there are not enough features. So for example, for us, like, you know, we ask people to use front as an email client when we had no forward, no attachment, no, like nothing. Like all you could do was send and receive. And, but it's good because then you start understanding what's most important to people. And so I think then what happens in the journey is you have people that try your product that don't want to use it. Then they don't want to use it, but for a list of reasons that getting shorter and shorter until you have someone that wants to use your product and you try to have more of these people. But the reality is I wrote a lot of content in the early days of front to have these people sign up to our beta. And I think we got like 3000 companies ultimately sign up for our beta, which seems huge, but maybe three ended up using our product because we had them use the product like very early on Mm -hmm. and they churned because the product wasn't good, but that was fine because Again, it was optimizing for learning as fast as possible. Right. And so you're trying to learn as fast as possible. You're trying to build the team, raise money. What was like the first inflection point where you felt like you're getting a lot of momentum? So it's a good question. You know, when founders are looking for this moment where like, you know, you're onto something like, I don't think it ever happens. Like the reality is even today with thousands of companies, so much funding and all of this, like, it's not like... Okay, I've made it. It's like there you will have different milestones mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that you celebrate reaching them, but it's never like, okay, I got it and now things will be easy. And yeah. that's one of my main learnings from YC probably, where you know, I was listening to the CEOs Stripe and Dropbox and Airbnb and Facebook and all these companies are so successful, yet they will tell you that they have doubts about their business every single morning when they wake up. And so I think no founder should expect to reach a moment when they're like, well, I've made it. 
However, there are a few things you should celebrate. And so, in, again, talking back about SaaS, because I know it better, the moment you have your first customer paying, like, is something you should absolutely celebrate. Then the moment that you have 10 customers paying is something very different, because, you know, one could be just a mistake or your parents or your friends, but 10, you're like, okay, what do they have in common? How can I find more? And then in SaaS, when you reach a million in recurring revenue every year, then that's when usually companies get funding and specifically Series A funding because you're like, if you can find one million and your market is bigger than one, which usually is the case, then like, how are you going to scale this? And so I think you need to find these moments. And for me, like if I remember, like when I was happy, like I think it was when we had our first customers pay, it was when we reached 1 million in AR. And then I think it was like going from one to 10 in like, I don't know, maybe four years, but then going from 10 to 20 in like one year. And then you're like, oh, okay, for the first time, I realize I'm accelerating. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we should celebrate. Hey, let's take a quick time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. When you're growing your business, you'll need to solve all kinds of HR challenges, and you'll need Trinet. Trinet gives you expert advice on HR compliance, attracting top talent, and how to efficiently outsource your HR. Get started now by checking out Trinet's free e-guides at trinet.com slash e-guide to learn more about how to tackle these issues today. Now, let's jump back into today's episode. And in one of your interviews as well, I think at the Forbes interview where you're playing soccer, you bring up something that I think is a really important philosophy, which is that front is something that you do that's part of your life, but it's not your life. And could you describe kind of like how you crafted that philosophy and how you've, it's not easy to maintain, I'm sure, but how have you tried to find that balance as you've built the company? Well, we could talk for hours about this, but it's something I'm deeply passionate about. So it's funny because a misconception. So I was working with an employee at Front on Friday and, and he was upset because he was struggling hitting his team's goals, whatever. And I care about him. So I tell him, like, I understand you're upset, but please, as you go and get some rest during the weekend, keep in mind that it's just a job. And he was like, I will never be able to, you know, think about this that way because I care too much. And for me, it's two very different things. Like, I deeply care about front. Like, I would never spend, you know, so many years of my life and so many hours every day and so many days every week working on this. So I, I deeply care. Now, I know that my life is not just front. And there are so many ups and downs with any company that's being created, no matter how successful, that if your life and your happiness relies on the health of your company, you're meant to be unhappy and no human being wants to be unhappy. And so for me, like when I have a challenge on front, the way I'm thinking about it is, first of all, like front is a great opportunity. Like we get to work on a big prime in a market that's huge with not a lot of competition. Every prime that's arriving is just a challenge that, you know, I need to find a solution to. And that's it. And it's not like my identity or like, or it's not my reputation or it's not like that will be impacted by this. It's just like, ultimately, I can't lose. Like, I need to think about every challenge as an opportunity to find a hard solution. So how did I get there? And I will tell you how it manifests in my life. But how did I get there? I think for the first three years of my life, I spent 
a ton of time working on front. My co-founder spent a ton of time working on front. I don't remember having many weekends and or vacations. And then my co-founder got sick, was diagnosed with cancer. And every single week I was staying with him, it got worse and worse to a point that, you know, he had to go through so many chemos. And at that point, I realized for the first time, well, first of all, a part of me thinks that if you had not worked that much, maybe you would not have. And whether it's right or wrong, doesn't matter. Sure. I believe that it played a, a role and that bothered me. And then I also realized, well, like he might die and I care about front, but at the end of the day, like I care about him being happy, healthy human being way more than I care about front. And when you're just doing your company, it's very hard to put things in perspective. But when something shocking like this happened, well, you have literally no choice. So now, like 18 months after, it was declared cancer-free. So it's a story that ended really well. But the thing that I always, you know, struggle with is I'm very grateful that I got this experience to remind me that my company was one thing that I deeply cared about. But then there were other things like my family, my friends, my health that were more important. And them going well was a first step to the company being the best company and the best environment that I could work on. That was true for me, but that was true for every employee. So in an hour, I will do a presentation to the new cohort of employees that just joined France and I will, it's called All About France and I will tell the story of my co-founder and I will tell them, well, at the end of the day, like what I want you to do is first of all, like take care of yourself, like take care of your health, spend time with your family because you will only do your best work if you have this great foundation. So this is one big thing that happened to me. I just wish that I didn't have to go through this. And I wish that no one has to go through something as painful to realize that that your life is just bigger than the company you're running. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. And I think it's so important because oftentimes we get caught in the minutia of the day-to-day -day and things just keep going faster and faster and there's yeah. always more to do. After that happened and after you know he went into remission and beat cancer, how did you reprioritize your life or continue to make changes so you could you know incorporate your family, friends? And do you feel like you succeeded then in yeah. getting a good balance between everything? So I do believe I succeeded. But the thing that I realized is it's a daily struggle, meaning like it's very easy to do that well for a year and then you're cut into, like, as you said, so many urgent, important things and then you forget about them. And so, so what happened after that episode is I had to change a lot about just how I was living. So I started meditating every morning. I started exercising more. I started eating more healthy. I started taking PTO. When I was in PTO, I didn't look at my computer or any work application. Like later after that, I started removing all my notifications. And then later I started deleting all my apps from my phone and put my phone on grayscale. And so I feel like every year, in a sense, I become more extreme, but I don't become more extreme. It's just like the thing that worked for me like right. three years ago or the thing that worked for me today. But because I don't have this reminder, like this shocking reminder that happened to me three years ago, I just need to be a little more drastic in how I do them. To me, that's the answer is like, yeah. so I think I still do a really good job at, at having this balance, but maybe by being a bit more extreme in what I do to allow me to never fall back in the trap of, all right. I do is working. And it sounds like you're 
being very thoughtful about the pruning process of cutting things out that aren't really serving you and uh, eliminating some of the stimulus, right, from your phone, yep. switching it over to grayscale and things like that, because you're already getting information overload yes. with your job. So outside of work, you know, you mentioned meditation, sports, a lot of things like that. I'm curious when it comes to books and learning and conversations with friends, how do you do most of your learning? So um, it's interesting. So I think I do learnings in probably three different ways. The first one is I learn a lot by doing. And I think what matters is doing, but then being very self-aware. Like, you know, you won't learn if you're not self-aware. And I think a very interesting topic is how do you work on your self-awareness? Because everyone right. wants to be self-aware. But, and so I've found, so I have- Very painful have, process. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> but rewarding. Exactly. It's also very hard to face yes. the reality. But at the end of the day, what will allow you to be self-aware is understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are and being comfortable enough with your strengths that you'll be able to admit your weaknesses. So like whether you work with a therapist or a coach, like I honestly don't think that you can figure it out yourself. Yourself and or like someone super biased like your friends and husbands or wives or like can help sure. you but so first I've worked with someone in order to help me understand better who I am and it's funny because I like I would have described myself four years ago as someone confident and self-aware but if you ask me today after having worked many years with the person I've worked with like I feel like I know myself so, so much better. So I think you never end this journey of understanding yourself. Better. So that's something that I really believe in is like working with a professional so that you work on yourself or NS so that learning by doing is actually a thing. Number two is I've always had a group of people that I could learn from. And these people have evolved over time when, you know, we were a company with 10 people. Then I had peers that that I could talk to and, and being helped. I had this great mentor, Patrick Collison from Stripe, who was one of the first believers in France because Stripe had this email transparency policy, got so much value out of it. And so it was someone helping me a lot in the initial days. And then you know, Jared Smith, the co-founder of Qualtrics, is someone I met two years ago. And then I started learning so much through him. And so he became someone that... And I think, you know, what you will learn and what you will want to learn at different stages of your journey is different. And so, like, just making sure that you meet some new people. And now the thing is, I have a very close... Like, it's not like I have 50 people that are helping me. Like it's impossible to keep them in the loop of everything that's happening. And then the last thing is just either watching content, like whether it's talks at conferences or reading books or listening to podcasts is also something that I try to prioritize. And specifically, like, for example, when I say I'm not working when I'm on PTO, I'm actually not doing any day-to-day -day work, but I might read a book, listen to podcasts. And that's the moment where my brain is more willing to do this because when I'm working, you know, till 6 p.m. and then I go back home, I don't think the first thing I want to do is read this business book. <laughs> so that's the moment I do it. Very cool. And when you're thinking about building culture in the Bay Area, it's obviously a hyper competitive environment for talent. You mentioned you're getting ready to address some new employees. And are there any thoughts that you've had recently about culture building and how is your view on that kind of changed throughout these years? Yeah, I mean, so since day one, I've always embraced the fact that it was competitive because given our mission is to create like the best place to work and both like internally, but also build tools that allow companies to have a great place to work. I thought, well, I'd rather be in the most competitive environment because like if I manage to create a place where people are happy to come to work every day and it's the most competitive, then that's I think feedback it's, loop. It's, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> the weakest. most honest one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one, it's something I've embraced. Maybe my learning on this, because the Reddit is, is competitive and you 
just you have to deal with it. But is maybe one mistake I might have done in the past is feeling like because it's competitive, then what I need to do as a leader of an organization is to make sure that we know how to convince people that front is the best place to work. And so making sure that, you know, our recruiting team or uh, hiring managers are trained to talk about why front is so great. And the reality is that's not how we do it today. Like what we do is, you know, let's say you interview at front and I'm chatting with you, but you're chatting with our recruiter, doesn't matter. Like we will try to understand deeply what would make you most happy in your job. Like, and just telling you, well, imagine you're out of your job tomorrow and you're trying to design your dream job. What does it look like from value, stage, space, role, location, like comp, everything you can think of. Try to think about where you would thrive. And our commitment is to tell you if Front can deliver that to you. Because if we don't think Front can deliver that to you, because it's a competitive, no matter what, you'll leave, you know, two years from now. And, you know, we would have both spent time and energy and would have not necessarily been a successful thing. So I think maybe the one thing I've learned is changing your mindset. And instead of, you know, being able to convince someone why Front is so great, just training your people to be very good at understanding deeply what people want, build trust so that then you can tell them this is a good fit or this is not a good fit. Definitely. Yeah. Any interaction that's more voluntary tends to lead to better outcomes for both parties. It also tends to kind of resemble play a lot more. So, which brings us back to Legos. So tell tell us why you like Legos and the Legos idea program. Yeah. Well, I think I've always loved Legos. The very first story of front end Legos was I was in France in a co-working space with another company called Aircall, and they were doing a phone system, and they were pretty much the same stage as us, like pre-product market fit, trying to get your first users. And with the, the other CEO, who I'm seeing tonight, we said, okay, the first, by these dates, the company that has the highest number of users can pick the Lego they want in the Lego store. And so I won. I picked like the Volkswagen minivan. And so I started building Legos. And then what happened after that was I moved the, the, the team here and, you know, no one really had friends or family here. So one activity we liked doing was buying the biggest Lego sets and building them in the office. Some That's of them awesome. moved with their families. So their family would come, their kids would come and we would build them. And then it was really part of our culture. So, you know, maybe a year after we started, every new employee could then start by choosing the Lego set they wanted in the Lego store. And then they would build it at front and that would be a good opportunity for other people to build it with them and to get to know every new employee. And so still today, if you join front, the first thing that we'll ask you to do is pick a Lego in the Lego store and build it. Very cool. And I'm curious, have you implemented anything like the Legos idea program, like internally or? Yeah, in the so it, it actually, so it's funny that you ask because, for example, when we think about learning and development, it's like a Lego program where you have many different bricks and you can choose the bricks that you think are most relevant to you. And that's how we present our learning and development program. Now in the product, I think Front is a tool. It's both a good thing and a bad thing, but Front is a tool that can allow you to do so much and you have so many different tools. Like you can create automation, you can create analytics, you can create dashboards, you can create, you know, collaboration workflows. But too many times we ask our users to figure that out themselves. It's like you have this Lego box and just build something. And so one focus for us this year is being able to provide templates so that if you want to achieve a certain thing, like for example, you want to have better SLAs just to make sure that you always reply to your customers in less than three hours, 
this is how you do it. And we don't Very ask cool. you to figure everything out. So I think we might have pushed the Lego analogy a bit too far. Yeah. In that That's really exciting, though, to kind of get plays out of the box that you can run as yes. a business. The other thing I wanted to bring up and kind of like recognize is that I think your selection of investors and partnerships and everything, obviously very strategic. You're partnering yep. with companies that have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of business clients already. What's your mindset when it comes to building partnerships or those strategic alliances with capital partners? So I think the way I think about, and I, I can specifically talk about investments. So the people that will invest in your company will be with you forever. And, you know, there are many ways you can part ways with an employee, even if you don't want that to happen. There are very few ways you can part ways with investors. Right. And the thing that I've always optimized for is at a given stage, when I bring new investors on board, like what do we need most and who is most likely to provide this value? So, for example, for our Series B, like I chose Brian Schreier at Sequoia for two different reasons, for Sequoia and for Brian Schreier. So I think Sequoia was a really good and still is a very good brand and allows us to hire the best people. Brian has a ton of experience with companies that build category new categories. So Qualtrics, you know, created a new category. Dropbox created a new category. And they were horizontal products. They have huge markets, but their challenge is how do you educate the market? Like, how do people understand what you're doing when you're creating something brand new and you can't say, well, it's just like Salesforce and it's not, nothing right. like anything. So I think... That was a big challenge at the time. Brian had experience with it and we wanted to, you know, capitalize on this. One of my other big challenges was I need to bring executives. I think executives are reassured when you're backed by great firms. And so that's how I made the decision. Seriously, two years later, I felt like Brian at Sequoia and and Sequoia like really helped us and would continue helping us in the coming years. And so instead, I was seeing more and more challenges with skill. And I think Building a company of 10 people, very different from 100, very different from 1,000. And I expected that the challenges I would see in the future would be skill. Mm -hmm. And Zoom is a company that has done a wonderful job at having a very strong business and keeping an amazing culture and a huge focus on the happiness of their employees and their customers. And so like, that's why I wanted Eric to be part of it. Atlassian, I think, has done an incredible job at being very customer-centric, very product-centric, very employee-centric. Qualtrics, they've released their S1 just before they got, but they, they've built an amazing business. But at the same time, like if you talk to Ryan, Jared, they're like deeply caring individuals. So I think I was seeing these challenges as we would grow and I, and I wanted to be inspired by the best people and that's why I chose them. Sure. And Mathilde, thank you so much for being generous with your time. I know you have to get going here in a minute. Any final thoughts you want to leave for anyone that's listening that's maybe ambitious about business, working in a business, or maybe they're operating one right now as an executive or CEO? Well, so I think that a few things, I mean, I have so many, but I'll think about a few ones. So the first thing is if you work in a new company or if you're starting a new company, stop thinking about whether it's normal that it's hard because like it's hard no matter how successful your company is going to be or how successful you're going to be in that role. And so that will give you a lot of headspace. Number two is prioritize your mental health. Like you never know how big of a change it can lead to. But the reality is in the same way that you exercise, you know, every week, like you need to help your brain deal with whatever challenging things they're going to deal with. And so I would think whatever works for you, yoga, meditation, anything. And then the last thing I would say is I see a lot of people who want to 
do something risky, like start a company or, you know, jump to this very early stage company, but they're not sure because so many risks. And you just have one life. It's like, don't optimize for, you know, what will be written on your LinkedIn profile. It's like, just go do it. And even if it doesn't work, you will learn super quickly. So just do it. Great advice. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. As a small business owner in ultra competitive Silicon Valley, I used to worry about losing my top talent. I don't anymore, and here's why. I figured out how to offer access to robust benefits like a big company does, but I couldn't do it on my own. That's where Trinet came in. Trinet helps tens of thousands of businesses across the US with HR. They provide you top-notch industry-tailored services for your HR needs. If you're building a business, you know you need a great team. Trinet is your team for HR. And when you choose Trinet, you'll help support independent media like Mission Daily. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.